Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. Today with me, I have retired NYPD police officer and criminal defense attorney, Joe Murray. Joe, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Bill. So happy to be here. You know, so much is going on in this case that... uh, the turns and the the the, um, the drama in this, if you, if you will, uh, it's it's just. I think that this case is not just a nationally known case; it's internationally. It's it's sort of grabbed people in on an international level. Here we have this couple, you know, everything to live for, and this beautiful girl is murdered, you know. And uh, before before I get into the case, let me just say, folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube. Hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're growing our channel, and we're trying to give you the best real crime information possible from a police perspective, from veterans of the NYPD and other law enforcement areas. Uh, one of the things that came out uh, yesterday, of course, everyone now is is looking at this uh, this warrant for his arrest. And I, I, in a second, I'm just going to pull this up, Joe, and put it on the screen, and then, then we're going to talk about it. But it's um, that was what was on everyone's mind uh, yesterday was that he was just um, he was he was just uh, they were given a an arrest warrant a federal arrest warrant and now people want to know what this is all about well we're going to play this and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it afterwards and it's a federal fraud charge at that. He's the fiancé, of course, of Gabby Petito, and the only person of interest in the case surrounding her death. According to a grand jury, we learned this today, between August 30th and September 1st, they believe Laundry used a debit card belonging to someone else, spending at least $1,000 or more. This comes as law enforcement spent the fifth day searching thousands of acres of swampland for any sign of him. Fox 13's Evan Axelbank is live again at the Laundry Home in Northport, where there was a little bit of movement today. Evan. Well, the indictment only reveals a sliver of information in a case with loads of questions. His family met with an attorney today, and we know that when Brian Laundry is captured, he'll have to meet a judge. The indictment against Brian Laundrie is a single count and says he committed fraud by using a debit card to take out over $1,000. Putting the PIN number in, he had no permission to do it. He used her credit card without her consent. The indictment does not specify it was Gabby's, but legal analyst Anthony Rickman suspects that for it to become a part of an indictment in a case of this magnitude, prosecutors are trying to establish a timeline for both Gabby and Brian. Her phone's last text was sent August 27th. We know he returned home sometime September 1st. This says the card was used on the 30th. You use a card, use an ATM, there's a camera associated with it. So we're going to see his, most likely his image, while he's using that card. That's going to help law enforcement. But where is he? 75 personnel from 16 agencies have now spent five days combing 25,000 acres of the Carlton Reserve in eastern Sarasota County. So far, they've had little luck. It's a tremendous uh, mass of land. Uh, the more people, uh, the more effective we are. Laundry's Mustang had been there before his parents said he'd gone hiking. When you look at how much manpower, how much time, how much effort law enforcement is devoting 
to one single area, it tells me that they have good reason to believe he is still there. No matter where he is found, the key to the indictment may be what's on page two. It's an arrest warrant. It says he has to go before a U.S. magistrate without unnecessary delay. While it's still unclear as to whether anyone will be charged in the death of Gabby Petito, which has been ruled a homicide, there is now a charge that he has to answer for. And that means that when they get him, he goes right to a judge. Right to a judge, right into custody. No ifs, ands, or buts. His family left their home today for several hours, which we understand from the attorney was to meet with him. He reiterated the attorney did that. The charge he faces is for things that occurred after Gabby's death. He says that once Brian is taken into custody, those charges will be dealt with. We are still, of course, waiting for the full results of the autopsy of Gabby Petito. Mark. Yeah, we. Joe, does this simplify the case or does this make the case more complicated? I really believe that the government is engaging in a series of missteps that are going to come back to hurt them. And uh, the fact that they charge this ridiculous charge, in my opinion, because I don't know all the evidence, it's a ridiculous charge. It's really going to hurt them. Uh, and if I was Brian's attorney, I would bring him right in, demand a preliminary hearing, demand Brady material. And you know there's plenty of Brady material. Brady material is essentially exculpatory or, or, or evidence that discredits the people, the government's case. We know that they went on this trip together. We know that they were, you know, they're, they're, engaged and they're in love and they're going through this trip. So there was mutual consent to use property. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure the government has evidence of it. They have surveillance cameras of them going in to buy and shop together. And they're going to have to turn all this over immediately. And I would demand an immediate trial. I want all their witnesses to come in because as of yet, Nobody has said this is a murder. It's a homicide. Yes, somebody else caused the death of Gabby Petito. But nobody's ever said he's done it. There's no nexus to him. And they're not even saying it was an intentional murder. We don't even have Joe, Joe, Joe let me just stop you there for one second, because I, I don't know if people understand uh, the term homicide. The term homicide simply means death caused by another. And when Joe was saying that it doesn't necessarily have to be criminal, that's true. A, 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 uh, something can be ruled a homicide that's accidental. So the death could be caused by another, but it's accidental. So I just want to explain those terms because I don't know if the audience fully understood what you were referring to. Excellent. But now, listen, I want everyone to know, as a police officer, a father, I have so much sympathy and empathy for for the family of Gabby and, and what happened. And my instincts tell me from my long experience, he is involved in this and maybe the cause of death is related to any, something he may have done. And I think there is some culpability there. But under the law, it's insanity what the government is doing right now, unless they have this nexus material tying him to this homicide. Now, 
we know that the van was because of the Bethune, you know, red, white, and Bethune, they identified that the van was in that proximity of about 200 yards, 250 yards from where Gabby's body was recovered. We also know that he's the last person to be in that van who had control of that van. So I think there may be some evidence creating that nexus. But if that's the case, this grand jury should have heard a murder, manslaughter, some other homicide charge to charge him with if they have that nexus. The fact that they indicted him on this credit card thing is really showing their hand and how sloppy they are. Joe, Joe let me just also play devil's advocate here. I think they want to, um, first of all, the, the whole concept of person of interest, it just, it, it just it bothers me. When you clearly know someone is a suspect, to call them a person of interest, I find it to be dishonest. And it, it sort of throws everyone off. Oh, he's not a suspect. He's a person of interest. What does that mean? That's not a police term. You know, appeasing the public demand or the media's demand for information. I think that's what it is. It's more of a media term than it is. It's I've never in my 27 years on the NYPD heard a single boss, a single detective say, yes, he's a person of interest. We, When there's a homicide, we say everyone is a suspect until we clear them and they're no longer a suspect. But where this person of interest nonsense came from, and the media runs with it like it's the football under their arm and they're running towards the goal line. You know, it's right. it's just it's just dishonest. So with that out of the way, what they want to do, and I think it's clear, is that they want to slap him in jail. And and they they don't have enough right now to arrest for the uh for the murder. But I believe they will have enough. But and if they were forced to. I think they could lock him up for the murder and build a circumstantial case, but you never want to depend on circumstantial evidence and take a case of this magnitude to trial. But I think clearly that is their goal. Put him in on a different charge so the speedy trial clock doesn't doesn't turn, does it? Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's it's that, that they're trying to circumvent the speedy trial clock by doing this. I think it's that they're under so much pressure. This case has gotten national and international attention. They're under so much pressure, and I think they have so much egg on their face for not surveilling him and keeping him under observation, knowing where he is, that they feel they have to do something. Even though, I want to point out, up until this point of this, which I think is a bogus indictment, up until this point, he is a free citizen allowed to walk about wherever he wants to go. The fact that he went missing, first of all, it's questionable because he's an adult and he went on a camping trip he has a right to. Who knows how long he planned to be out there? Maybe he wanted to be isolated and... <clears throat> excuse me, isolated and just, you know, be alone with all this stuff going on and just, he has a right to. So there's nothing, you know, the government wants this detention hearing and put him in, putting him in. Wait a second. I mean, you haven't even charged him. You haven't even accused him of, of anything other than this credit card thing, which I think is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I, Joe, I wanted to, while I'm thinking of it, I wanted to just ask you if they pulled him in on this, um, they, they said the illegal use of an access device, which is 
a debit card. He took out $1,000. If they pulled him in for that, could he be interviewed for that? Or does the the uh, lawyer privilege that he invoked on this charge, does that carry over to the larceny charge? Great question. And that, <laughs> that's an important question. When you retain counsel, you retain counsel for a specific reason. And in the, the in this case, although I wasn't privy to any of the conversations, I believe he retained counsel with regards to uh, Gabby, you know, and then, you know, the missing person aspect of it. But certainly, certainly as his attorney, because there is a nexus that it's related to this, the credit card transaction had to do with Gabby, the government would run afoul if they tried to interview him without his attorney present. You can, and, and as you know, and I'm sure you've done in your career, you can interview somebody about a, a different you know, criminal act that they're not represented on. However, in this case, it, there's too much of a connection between the credit card case and the missing person case that it would run afoul for them to do any questioning. I agree with you. I think that that's part of what they want to try to do. They want to try to get spontaneous statements out of him that may come out, but it's just not going to work and it's not appropriate to, to go through these lengths. Now, I want to point out, a lot of people don't realize what's going on here. I went through the docket <clears throat> and just looking at what the government did, I mean, I'm just going to take this really quick through the the first we have the indictment okay and you you know you read the indictment you see that it was uh, as you showed on that recording it was the 30th to the first very short time period but it appears to be the time period where he drove interstate that's the nexus the government needs to charge him <clears throat> he drove interstate back home and was using this credit card to withdraw in the aggregate in the aggregate over $1,000, and that's the statutory language. Well, let me just point out, the statutory language that they put in there uh, in the warrant was 18 U.S.C. 1029-A1. That's not what he was indicted. He was indicted for 18 U.S.C. 1029-A2. This is the sloppiness of the U.S. government in their rush to try to take some action. On top of that, okay, so now they have the arrest warrant. They get the indictment, and they move for a detention hearing because they want to hold him. Then on top of that, they move to seal the indictment on September 22nd. And we're talking about the chief of the criminal division here overseeing this. They want to seal the indictment until he's brought before the court. On 10-22, on the court hears their motion and grants it. On 10-23, the government decides, hmm, maybe it would be better if we left it unsealed, and they move to unseal the indictment the very next day. And then, of course, the government, you know, rule number one in criminal federal practices, the government gets what the government wants. So they're going to do all of these things, and, and, and the court is going to go along with it. But look at what's happening now. They're charging the wrong charge. They're moving to seal the indictment. The very next day, they're moving to unseal the indictment. The government is really running like a chicken without a head with this case, and it's going to come back to bite them.
You know, Joe, I think that um, with this whole uh, use of the debit card, I think a good defense attorney could also argue that uh, Brian and Gabby used each other's credit cards and that there was an implied permission or authority to do so. However, the, f- the fact that we, it gets a little more complicated, the fact that she is most likely dead as of the 27th, and he most likely knows that because he's prob- probably the person that did it, and then the fact that he uses her credit card after that, I think that's problematic. But what I just said, you would probably argue what I was just talking about, that they regularly used each other's debit and credit cards. They documented this in a video blog, this trip across America, the two of them together living out of this van in love. And, and they look like such a beautiful couple in a lot of the, the videos and pictures. The implied consent that exists. I want to know who is the witness the government brought into a grand jury to say, because they need this to say that he knew and was aware she was dead when he used these credit cards. And therefore, his consent prior to that was revoked. Who's the witness? How are they right. proving this, that he knew she was dead? I mean, I, I really just, it's so sloppy what they're doing. Uh, and, and I really just, I'm, I'm sad for the, for the Petito family that they have to go through this because... They're creating such a record and they're giving the defense. This is, <clears throat> if I was his attorney, and I don't know what's going on there. I, I, I'm really baffled. This attorney-client relationship is, is you know, it, it, it's in jeopardy because there's no communication. Apparently, when you retain counsel, if he retained counsel in a situation like this, this is critically important to maintain communication with your attorney. For the very reason of what they just did, and I have a relationship as the attorney with the government, because as soon as there is a warrant, an indictment, even a felony complaint, I'm going to reach out to the government or they're going to reach out to me and say, okay, we now have authority, probable cause has been established, a judge issued a warrant, I need you to surrender your client. Now, me as the defense attorney and the defendant himself has an interest in immediately surrendering. You immediately surrender because you want to show the court you're not a flight risk. I've retained counsel. The government called me. The agents called me. I then call my client. I arrange for his surrender. Perhaps, depending on what he's charged with, in this case, it's just the credit card, he'll be released immediately. There's no reason. He's not demonstrated in any way he's a flight risk. What did he do? He retained counsel. Counsel's been in communication with the government. And when the government contacted him and said, we need him to surrender, he produced them. All right, Joe, let's let's not try to try this case right here. Because what, what all of this stuff is, and I say this all the time, it's circumstantial evidence building to this uh, eventual arrest, hopefully, in this murder case. And circumstantial evidence simply means from what inferences are drawn from. And lots of circumstantial evidence piled up real high can be the strongest evidence in the world, as you know, as a defense attorney. 
True. But I want to talk about, I just want to segue to another thing. Last night, Duty Ron had an uh, amazing show on at 9.30 on YouTube. And he had Ed Wallace, who's an expert NYPD crime scene detective, who's now retired and has his own forensics company. And we call it the star of all stars, uh, Barbara Butcher, who is a brilliant, brilliant uh, former chief of staff of the New York City Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. And I just want to uh, play a little bit of what she was talking about last night um, on the I'm going to bring up um, a little bit of Duty Ron's show with his permission. I, I don't think he's going to hit me with a copyright strike. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think he will anyway. But um, so I'm going to put that on the screen because the autopsy um, has come back and declared that this case is, in fact, a homicide. However, they have not determined um, cause of death. And um, there's something called manner of death. And manner of death simply means uh, there's four ways that there can be a death. It can be uh, homicide, suicide, natural, or accidental. Now, as we discussed before, a homicide uh, is simply means death caused by another. And it, whether it's criminal uh, or non-criminal, it, that's part of the investigation. I'll give you a way. Sometimes the police get charged with homicide based on, and the charge is murder, but based on the fact that uh, restraint asphyxia, you could put your knee into the back of a perpetrator and his chest is unable to expand. He dies of asphyxia. Did the officer do that on purpose? No, we won't litigate the case here. However, it's ruled a homicide, but was it an intentional murder? No, it was accidental. So that's one way there's a homicide, but it's accidental. Let me play Barbara Butcher and what she was talking about last night on Duty Ron's show, because I think it's a brilliant conversation here. You know, she was, um, uh, Gabby was found in, uh, in the Moran Vista uh, camp area, which is what they call a dispersed campground. In other words, it it's, has no facilities. It's not a place where you just pitch a tent and get water, showers, or electricity. This is very, very remote area, um, very wild area. Now, uh, you know, after 21 days, you know, we all understand the, the nature of decomposition. Um, and in addition, being a wild area, there are uh, bobcats, cougars, uh, all kinds of vermin and you know, you have to be realistic about what kind of remains you'll be looking for. Um, and the big challenge is to not just find those remains, but to find all the remains. Uh, you mentioned that the medical examiner's office had gone back a second time to the site, and that's most likely because they may have found that they were missing um, a, a bone or uh you know, some such, and, and went back to see if they could find everything. Um, I mean, that's just the the realistic, uh, likely scenario here. Um, I don't know exactly what her remains looked like, but, you know, after 21 days in the wilderness. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about it in chat rooms that I was monitoring and things that I was seeing, um, you know, we spoke about how the lead 
FBI, uh, the, the lead agent in charge, before the body was removed and brought to the coroner, he gave his condolences to the Petito family, to the Schmidt family. Um, I was a little taken back by that, but once I thought about it for a few moments, I said, you know, there could be many variables that came into play there. Um, have you ever seen that go on in um, your time where uh, uh, condolences are given to a family? And if so, uh, what are some of the identifying uh, marks that could be on a human body as such as a 22-year-old girl who has been out there in the elements for a good 20, 25 days? Um, what could they have seen to give them that positive idea? You know, uh, you, you're right, Ron. It, it's it's not uh, really correct to give condolences to a family until a positive, I mean positive, identification is made. And a positive identification is not just viewing the body, because people can make mistakes, but uh, DNA, fingerprints, or forensic odontology, where they compare dental records to the teeth that remain. Um, that's a really good way to identify people because it's so unique uh, what work you may have had done. But of course, you have to know who you're looking at in order to get their dental records or who you're looking for. Um, so it is very unusual for the agent to have given uh, condolences to a family without confirming an ID. Now, could they have the exact clothing um, that she was reported to be wearing? And could it be that it was ID in her pocket? Maybe her hair was, you know, rather right. uh, distinctive. You know, Right. I, I, I get what you're saying. These are some of the things that we've all gone through in our heads. And now most of the folks, you know, can come to that, you know, realization that there could be some identifying marks. But we talked about um, and many people had conversations about the tattoos. Um, what's the odds of tattoos still being visible in uh, a decedent um, 20 some odd days out in the elements like that? Um, well, you know, this you can have the, the skin tends to slough off in decomposition. Um, so the top layers of skin would likely be gone. It is possible uh, in flesh, in, in muscle, or in, in fat cells to see the ink of a tattoo. Uh, sometimes you have to use an alternate light saw source, which Ed can tell you all about, um, you know, to light up the various pigments in a, in a tattoo. But again, we're talking about uh, you know possible animal activity here. We don't really know what you know, and I'm, I'm I want to be sensitive to people right. about this. But. Right, and I appreciate that because you know you, you never know. So that was uh, Barbara Butcher last night, and basically talking about. Um, the autopsy and the identification of the body. We all felt, and I think Duty Ron raised the uh, specter on his show, that they were very quick to uh, notify the family. And that's if, you know, when you think about how embarrassing it could ever, there's nothing could be more embarrassing or be seen as less professional than identifying someone on the scene and then finding out it wasn't them. So we were all a little bit surprised that, the identification was made right from the scene. Uh, however, 
um, you know, we, we spoke about tattoos, maybe a piece of jewelry that was unique to her clothing, her hair, uh, at, on the scene, you're obviously not going to be able to do uh, forensic odontology, which is the teeth that would have to be done by the medical examiner. But just we were a little um, surprised and getting what I was wanted to get into. And by the way, Phil Grimaldi was caught in traffic. Here he is now. He's, he's live on the show. So great to see you here, Phil. I was a little worried that you might not show up. And you may be- I, I, I'm right in the middle of like a crisis. Lightning hit my house last night, fried a bunch of electronics. But I was able to get on with my phone and my laptop here. But uh, the Verizon guy's working on the house right now. There is a chance that... Uh, it may knock me out or I may have to leave, but uh, I'm just, I, I had to get on this. I was listening to uh, what, when you started, Bill, and, um, you know, there's a couple of things that, uh, speaking about what you were just speaking about, if you don't mind, I like to comment on it. No, go ahead, go ahead. Quick. I, I, I did find it very odd that they did come out and give condolences to the family and speak about uh, Gabby in the past tense without a positive identification from the medical examiner's office. What I would have done if I was that FBI agent, and I'm not trying to second guess him or 2020, I think he was caught up with his emotions. What I would have said was a body was recovered. She fits. It, it's a female. It fits the description of Gabby. However, we're going to wait until we have a positive identification. We believe it may be Gabby Petito. However, we're going to wait until the medical examiner, the coroner, whoever makes a positive identification through DNA or the dental records or whatever. That's how I would have handled it. I think in the NYPD, that's how they would have handled it. They would have never come out like that. I think the agent probably with every good intention in his heart may have just been caught up in the emotion as everyone across the whole globe has uh, this, this young Gabby Petito has caught everyone's emotion and everyone's attention. And that's probably what it was. It, it was very unusual. I agree with Barbara butcher and, uh, it may be something that, uh, you know, maybe in going forward in the future, God forbid no one else should ever come to this uh, horrible ending in their life, but uh, maybe they'll they'll be a little bit more cognizant of things like that. One of the things that uh, we wanted to segue into was that the autopsy has been completed. However, they have not come up with a cause of death and whether it could be a strangulation a gunshot wound, blunt trauma. Well, no, they, didn't, they didn't release a cause of death. They may know it. They might no, I think I off. think that's that was my whole point. I think okay. they know at this point yeah. the cause of death. I just don't think they are releasing it. Joe, would you like to comment on that? Why would they be holding this so close to the vest as an investigative tool, maybe? I think for the same reason that you don't want to rush to make a positive ID, you want to make sure <laughs> that your findings are consistent with the rest of what's going to come out of this, the, the toxicology and uh, blood analysis, everything that follows the autopsy. But I agree. And even Barbara said it, uh, Barbara Butcher said it uh, last night, you know, when you do this autopsy, you do it from beginning to end, however long it takes, however many hours it takes, but you know the cause of death by the time you're done with that autopsy. Now, there could be lab analysis and things that are going to come back that might, you know, be consistent or contradictory. So I think it's appropriate not to to jump right out there and, and make your final determination. Uh, but I agree. I think they know. And I think now the investigation is taking what you know and marrying it up with his timeline and trying to, to make that nexus be, between him and, uh, 
and what we know happened now because of the autopsy. Uh, you know, we're going to go to a quick just commercial break and then we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about evidence, more about the arrest warrant and the search for Brian Laundrie. Joe Murray, attorney at law, present and accounted for today, as you can see. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. And his telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe at jmurray-law.com. Glad to have him back healthy and ready to fight. Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. The coffee is made to provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, Go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. And again, 50% profits go to offices, families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. And again, the website is policecoffee.com. So the point the point is when Did we're talking get about the, excuse me. The the point oh. is when we're talking about the um the autopsy and the cause of death. That's very important. Um, God forbid, you know, this was what was a gunshot wound. Um, there were implications for that. Of course, the, the um, on the 12th of September, the car was stopped by the Moab police. One of our great people in the chat, Lieutenant Pranzo, who is a retired NYPD street crime and 3-2 dete- uh, lieutenant, he said they should have went in the car, see if there was a gun in the car. You know, he has that street crime mentality and i was like you know something yeah they probably should have checked that because it also seemed that brian didn't want them going into that car for whatever the reason was what are your feelings on that joe you know i don't know what the laws are in wyoming but i'm inclined to believe that guns are legal it's a second amendment issue a lot of states a lot of jurisdictions you can go in and buy a gun at a kmart you know so the the way we are so trained and and uh, because of our experiences in New York City as a police officer, we like the fact that we're the only ones with guns out there, you know, and uh, so it's a lot easier for us and it's a lot more different the way we patrol and look at and do searches when you spot a gun in a car. Um, but I don't think it's as big a deal to officers out in in open carry free states like, you know, Wyoming, I believe. Uh, to, to possess a firearm in Wyoming. I think New York City is probably have the most draconian uh, gun laws. And I think uh, there's a case going up to the Supreme Court uh, on the right to carry uh, that I'm anxious to to see because I get a lot of inquiries about that. Okay. 
Uh, and, you know, well, I'd like to piggyback a little bit on what Joe said previous to the commercial. Um, you were mentioning about the uh, whether or not the cause of death, the medical examiner, the autopsy. I have no problem with them moving at this pace because there's no reason for them to rush into, uh, you know, the uh, charging him with a homicide or indicting him for a homicide. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to be playing into that uh, investigation with regard to the autopsy, as well as we don't know what uh, cell phone activity there was that may be uh, relevant to the case or, um, uh, you know, video cameras, stuff like that. So I think it's in their best interest to charge what they can charge with regard to the uh, the larceny of the credit card. I, I, I mentioned that a couple of days ago on the show with you, Joe, that I thought that that was going to be a... Uh, a good uh, maneuver on their part to, to have an arrest warrant because I think what it would do is if, if you have a criminal charge and now the family's helping him, it puts them 100% into the trick bag for, uh, you know, he's wanted by the feds now. It's not even a local thing. They got him federally because he crossed over state lines. Sounds like he used a credit card in two different states or whatever, or he was going through states, whatever they, they uh, base their, uh, their indictment on. And I know that you think they might have been sloppy in the in the uh, the way that they uh, followed through with some of the stuff, but I think it was a great maneuver. Put him at a, at a disadvantage that he can't have contact with his family. If he does, they could be criminally held. Uh, they can't help him now. He's on his own. Uh, I don't think he's in that preserve. I think Bill, I, and and probably you too, Joe, are all in the same opinion regarding that. I mean, it just seems very unlikely to survivalists that say almost impossible for him to have survived all this time. So uh, they're going to use the tools that they can. And listen, even though they're going to charge the credit card thing, whether or not it sticks down the line, I don't think is really even a consideration. A murder charge is going to be what they're going to be looking for that might put him in jail for a good chunk of his life. A larceny on a credit card, that's just a maneuver. That's a tool they're using. And uh, I think it's actually quite appropriate at this point since he is on a run. And if they get him on a little nonsense uh, credit card charge, they bring him before a judge and an argument can be made by uh, the federal government or whoever's going to, you know, uh, pr proceed with the charges, district attorney, whatever it is, they're going to say your honor. And I I'm sure you can attest to this, Joe. Uh, he's already fled. He's a flight risk. Uh, even though it's a minor charge, we want a major, uh, you know, maybe uh, held without bail. Since he is probably going to be charged sometime in the future, we believe he's culpable in the homicide of Gabby Petito. And I would think a judge would be hard pressed not to go along with that. Folks yeah. uh, in the chat, there's so many of you guys, um, you know, there's been so much speculation on on the cause of death. No one knows right now except the folks who did the autopsy. And until they, they release that, we can maybe just speculate. Uh, as far as I know, they haven't released it to anyone. Uh, so when people on social media or people on uh, TV say they know, Peter Pranzo, could this minor um I'm sorry, Pete, you just moved the, uh, let me lock that in there. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Could this minor charge lock out his family from assisting in his escape? And could the feds be holding on to the murder warrant until his capture? Joe, I'm going to let you answer that. Yeah, Lieutenant Branzo, he's always, uh, his mind is always going, you know, his uh, thought process, and I love it. So, yeah, that's a great mm -hmm. uh, point. That, you know, strategy comes into play here. There's some strategy that the government's engaging in. Me looking at what they're doing, I think it's less strategy and more appeasing the public. I really do believe that because the government, the United States government, when they do things and when they move, 
They move very effectively, very efficiently. They're always very, um, you know, thought thought out moves and they move, uh, you know, effectively. And I'm telling you, this is sloppy. This is so sloppy. The fact that they indicted him, they rushed this indictment on this credit card charge. Then they moved to seal the indictment. The judge grants it. Then they move to unseal the indictment the very next day. It's like a chicken without a head. What's going on here? But that Joe, can I just make, can I just make one Joe? Can I make one statement? Yeah. When we had someone who was a suspect in a homicide, we would like nothing better than to put them in the cooler on some other charge. Sure. So we knew where they were, and we could build our case because Absolutely. maybe we weren't ready to go forward with it. So if we put them in yeah. on something else, we could say we know where he is. But so you can't, you can't put him in on this credit card charge. That would never be upheld unless he demonstrated that he's a flight risk. I know Phil. He, well, he's already de- he's already yeah, demonstrated, he demonstrated that. that. You're characterizing what he's doing as fleeing. He's never been wanted. You can't flee unless you're wanted. I mean, yeah, yeah but Joe, his family reported him missing, and yeah. the police clearly have a reason to want to speak to him. They, we believe, I mean, there's video of him and her fighting. There's video of them together. There's witnesses saying that they were fighting right before she disappeared and is found dead. I think that's enough probable cause to believe that he's fleeing at this point. I mean, the family's not cooperating. He he didn't even answer phone calls. His family didn't even answer phone calls from Gabby's family. I mean, that, that only, in and of itself is terrible. the statute that requires you to answer phone calls. You're, you're assuming- No, I'm, I'm talking about, I, I know, legally you don't have to answer a phone call. I get it. I'm talking about a constitutional right to move about the country any way he wants. He's not required- to maintain contact with the police. There's no order or obligation for him to maintain contact with the FBI. He's a U.S. citizen. Okay, well, right now he's about 24 hours wanted and he hasn't come forward. He's not contacting the police, right? That's my contradiction with his attorney. The attorney-client relationship is so powerful and it's so important when you invoke your right to counsel. That's your mouthpiece. That's the person who speaks for you. You must be in constant contact with your attorney. And what he did, contrary to what you guys are saying, what he did by invoking counsel shows me he's not a flight risk. He's retained counsel to fight any allegations that he may have engaged in wrongdoing. And he's prepared with his counsel to meet whatever charges come his way. Up to this point, there have been no charges. He's right, Joe, okay, but if Joe. they contacted his attorney and they said, we're, we're, we're drawing up an arrest warrant for your client, he might have said, A, I okay, I'll produce him, or B, I have no contact with him, he's in the wind. So that at that point, he's, he's, a, he's a flight risk, Joe, no? At that point, when you engage counsel to represent So that's yesterday. You, that's as of yesterday. As of yesterday, and you're now, now what we have learned since he's engaged counsel, that even his parents are concerned because they have had no contact with him. So we don't know the context of that. Maybe he told them I'm going away for three days or five days. And now because it's been extended, 
they're concerned that something happened and it could be some foul play of some sort that happened. So All right, Joe, Joe, let me let me just get off this for one second. If if say they never dropped this warrant, this arrest warrant for uh the uh, illegal use of a debit card. That's uh they called it an access device. At some point and maybe they're not ready right now. I'm concerned, and we don't know all of the evidence that they have. We don't know the results of the autopsy. We don't know the results results of the potential eavesdropping warrants, the uh, electronic warrants, the warrants on the home, the evidence that they've collected. At some point, they could pull the trigger on a circumstantial uh, murder indictment. And at that, they're just not ready to do that. Now, in my experience... A district attorney does not want to drop the trigger on that and until he absolutely has to. But right now, this guy is in the wind. And we have to look at the totality of his conduct to see who this guy is. He, he drives home. His girlfriend's laying dead in the field. He drives home using her truck. On the way home, he uses her credit card. He gets home, says nothing about her being dead till her parents report her missing 10 days later. I mean, to me, that is smoking hot circumstantial evidence. 100%. Smoking hot. 100%. And, and I would make another argument that if we can prove by by the means of autopsy or, or witnesses that she was dead on the 30th and he was using her van after that or the 27th or whatever it is, I would still make an application for unauthorized use. How could she put now? I know that she gave permission or authority for him to use it during their trip, but she's dead now. I think that the permission or authority ends right there. If we can prove that she was dead on the 27th, he should be charged with that too. Now, again, I'm not worried about an unauthorized use charge against Brian uh, Brian here. I'm worried about uh, a murder charge for, for, for Gabby. That's obviously, but I think that's one of the tools or one of the strategies we could use to hold him. I said that the other day, and listen, it may or may not stick, but for the time being, and Bill, you made a great point, there's things coming out up until now. I saw a video earlier today, a colleague of mine from the intelligence intelligence division, Mark Leonard sent me a video that's circulating on the internet. And I believe it's the same video of the two people that were uh, travelers themselves that caught the white van, where there's a person in the woods. It, it looks like the outline of a person, a short distance from where the van is. So there's other things that are going to come forward in the coming days and weeks that may be relevant to the case evidence wise. And again, Bill, you make a great point. This may turn out to be a totally cir circumstantial case. And the circumstances might be a pile of them, a whole bunch of circumstances. It might be enough to convince a jury beyond the reasonable doubt that Brian Laundrie was responsible for Gabby Petito's death. And we're going to have to obviously wait on the results of the autopsy and all the investigation going forward. But I think, again, I'll say it, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. The fact that they hit him with an arrest warrant, even if it was sloppily done or whatever, Joe, uh, as far as the sealing the indictment, unsealing it, I don't know if that politics played, in, played into that, whatever it was. The bottom line is this. He now has an arrest warrant. He's a wanted person by the police. He's wanted. So anybody that aids him or anybody that helps him or gives him food or clothing or, or accepts phone calls from him and knows his location and doesn't come forward could be held culpably for criminal charges. I think that's a great maneuver. You know, Duty Ron is now in the chat and he says, hey, fellas, 
Can we all just get along? Great to hear, great to hear no, both sides This is here. called lively debate, and I love it. I love yeah. to be challenged. And I think Joe feels the same way, and I think Bill feels Absolutely. the same way. You know, I, I feel the same way, but I, I think, you know, there's a lot of emotion in this case, and a lot of the people that are, um, you know, real crime fans, true crime fans on YouTube here, they, they want to see him caught. They want to see him punished. And I, we can, of course, devil's advocate, and Joe, you do a great job of this. Of course, you're a defense attorney, is argue that maybe he never did it, period. But we're looking at, I, look, I love circumstantial evidence because I believe circumstantial evidence piled up high is almost like a smoking gun when there's a lot of it. It just says so much about what occurred. And one of the things I wanted to mention it was the, the 27th, he was in a restaurant with Gabby. So she was alive during the afternoon and he acted like a jackass, really arrogant. He was very aggressive with, uh, the, with the wait staff. That's circumstantial evidence too, to show who this guy is, to show what his personality is, that he's not the real nice guy out there and how they, they maybe had a domestic violence problem. Bill, you're, each also, of them. You're, you're also pointing out a state of mind right around the time when we believed that she was murdered. The 27th could be her last day on this earth alive. And that's showing a state of mind. Again, like you said, it's circumstantial, but it's showing a state of mind. I, I believe the person in the restaurant said he was acting irrationally. He was acting with wild behavior. And uh, Gabby was obviously upset. She went back into the restaurant to apologize after they were asked to leave the restaurant. So again, there may be other cases like this in and around that time. If, if it wasn't the 27th, if it was the 28th, we believe she was murdered. There might be other, other things that are going to come forward. And all the circumstantial stuff, I love it too, Bill. I think it, it, it definitely plays a part in it. And then you talked about the emotion. I feel connected to this case like I did when I was a detective and I was active. Mark Leonard from the intelligence division, who doesn't even handle homicide cases anymore, called me today. He told me the same thing. He said, Phil, I just feel connected to this case because we're, we're chomping at the bit. We want to get this guy. We want to flush him out because we know if he's brought into police custody, everything else from there that's going to take place it, it kind of makes it a, a nice, neat package. And the wheels of justice are going to turn. He's going to be entitled to his defense attorney. They'll make their arguments. The prosecutors will make their arguments. And I really believe, and I'm very confident, at the end of the day, he will be found guilty. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, one of a, we all felt early on in this case that uh, he probably committed suicide. I no longer feel that way because I feel that he doesn't have the character to commit suicide. I think he's just a, he doesn't have the balls to commit suicide. I'll put he's it that nasty. way. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a weasel and yeah. he, he's going to be found somewhere and he's going to follow this all the way to a trial. And we want to see him convicted and put in prison for the rest of his life. And, you know, I, and I also hope that if it, his parents in fact are aiding and abetting him, that they share a cell next door to him because this is at the point where it's outrageous this, this young lady lived with them for over two years, and they're just, this is how they're behaving. I just I just can't. Uh... Bill, how are they going to go on in their neighborhood? They're not going to be able to go on. People are going to be looking. They go to buy a container of milk. People are going to be spitting at them based on what's going on. So they need to get out ahead of it. As, as Joe pointed out, I think early on, he said if it was his client, he might have considered getting out ahead of it, give some cooperation to law enforcement, give some cooperation to the family. 
Get out ahead of it. You know, he's not walking away from this and his family is going to have to move to in an Nairobi or someplace like that. It's just not going to be uh, life as usual. He thought when he came back from, uh, from, from uh, Wyoming that he was going to live life as usual and drive around in her car and use her credit card. But guess what? It wasn't to be. And he was carrying on life as usual. And I really believe that once he consulted with his family and told him, look, something's going on. He may have told him all of it, some of it, I don't know, but they definitely strategized together. They went out and bought that camper. They went on a three-day trip. What was that about? A guy going on a trip after he's been on a two-month-long camping trip? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think what it was was to set up a place in the woods where he could have supplies and everything else, money, escape. Even Maybe he could have even rented a car and put it on the outskirts. He went in the car. He's in Mexico now. You know, and I'm just, look, obviously I'm making that up. I'm not trying to be funny, but they could have. We're, we're letting out some scenarios. And I think that that's quite possible. Things like that could be absolutely hundred percent. Yeah. Does, any, does anyone know where that dog came from? <laughs> that's my dog. Somebody's at the door. It's the Verizon guy. I'm going to have to excuse myself for a minute. Guys. All right. I'll pull you out for a second, Joe. I mean, uh, Phil, Joe. So, uh, I mean, look, I, I don't mean to, I think there's, as I said, there's a lot, um, Someone, Mariamath, uh, uh, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. She says that, I wish I would have pulled it up, the chat's moving fast. Um, unless someone want, witnessed him killing her, there is too much reasonable doubt in this case. Well, Mariamath, th that's what we're talking about, um, you know, circumstantial evidence. And there may be also, besides circumstantial evidence, there may be physical evidence that we don't know about. Hairs, fibers, blood. Uh, transfer evidence. There's all kind that we don't know yet what they have. There's also testimonial evidence, which people that have seen them together can testify about his character or lack thereof. All of that stuff is goes into play uh, in, in in a trial. Joe, uh, you want to comment on that? Yeah, those are great points, Bill. And you know, when you look at, we've always said, you know, the best predictor of people's uh, conduct is is past conduct. And, you know, with that in mind, I looked at some of the facts that we know about this case. So what do we know? That they were engaged in some domestic violence, right? Uh, we also know that at that interview, the body one camera, he actually, it came out that he locked her out of the car. And by his own, you know, mouth, he's saying, yeah, I told her you walk this way and I walk that way. That really struck me because... Now we see somebody, the Bethune, spots the van. It appears to be empty. I don't know if it's factually true or not, but because there was some other video about the door closing. But if perhaps they had another incident, I don't think anyone would argue that they perhaps had another domestic incident. They're in this close quarters, living in this van, and you know, she's already expressed that she's OCD and wants everything neat. And he says, I'm a dirtbag. And, uh, you know, that's going to reoccur. I don't think that's far-fetched to say that they were going to have these continued disputes. Okay, so another dispute happens. Is it possible that he locked her out of the van again at that location? She wandered off in one direction. He went in another. And then when he came back, she never returned. So we also learned from another person who's claiming they picked him up on the 29th, I believe, hitchhiking. 
and then drove him back to that area. But you know, Joe, that, none of that is confirmed. That's all yeah, like I should, YouTube. I, I should just put that's, that. That's that's YouTube. There. That's YouTube nonsense. And unless something's confirmed by law enforcement, I don't even talk about it. I'm good sorry. Policy. I don't mean to. But good policy. Yeah. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. But what okay. I'm talking about that we know happened is with the Bethunes there. That van was spotted. Now, no one, either one of them, were spotted with it. But that van was spotted, and I'm thinking back in my head: Is it possible that maybe? They had another one of these incidents. You go this way, I'll go that way. And she didn't return. Now, here, here, here's where it could also be consistent. He then drives home. It doesn't say, say anything because he's thinking she's going to pop up somewhere. And he doesn't want to implicate himself in any domestic violence. He's thinking domestic violence, not murder. They're just assuming she's going to pop up somewhere. That's why there was no communication, and one day led to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, I just, I, I'm, I'm finding trouble with all the events that we know leading up to this to say, you know, that it all proves to to be a murder. I mean, I see consistent behavior, so I'm, I'm I, I think we have to at least consider it. My instincts tell me otherwise that that he is involved and responsible. But looking at the facts, I mean, there, there should be so much more that the government has to tie this together by this point. Perhaps well, Joe, they, they, do, they do probably have a lot more, that, but they're not showing their hands yet. And, uh, you know, but by folks... charging this, they're triggering automatic rights, Brady material, hearings, witnesses they're gonna have to cross-examine they're gonna have to turn over evidence why in god's name would they do that jeopardizing the homicide case whatever comes charge wise out of that just to get him in custody it, it doesn't make sense and i really well you know look I, I i it that could that could be a mistake i just want to mention to all of our audience uh gabby's funeral i was posted on the internet is this sunday 926 21 uh from 12 to 5 out in Holbrook Long Island and I'm sure you could get the name of the funeral home uh, if you're from Long Island if you want to go out there there according to the the um notice that I read that the family is welcoming everyone to go out there and I don't I'm sure maybe I I would imagine thousands of people are going to show up but they you know the family could use support uh this is a horrible situation you can't even imagine uh, someone this young dying of, uh, you know, being murdered, 22 years old. And I mean, I saw this all the time, of course, but it was a little different. Sergeant Melinda, thank you all so much for bringing experience, facts, passion for justice. No BS to the panel. Love the free education. Uh, being a voice for the victims who sadly have been silenced. 9-11 NYPD heroes to all you are all appreciated. Love you all. Thank you, Sergeant Melinda, for that forty nine ninety nine super chat and for your kind, kind words. Uh, you're a big supporter of police off the cuff and I'm really, uh, happy to call you a friend and, uh, thank you so much uh, again, you know, folks, th this stuff, we, because we dealt what well, we deal with it as police officers. And I've been to hundreds and hundreds of murder scenes and investigated hundreds of murders. Sometimes we get a little nonchalant and we don't, uh, show the, the maybe the, the sensitivity because, we, when you deal with this all the time, you can't always bring it home with you. You'd be a basket case, you know? You have to put on that hard 
exterior in order to be able to do this kind of work. And this uh, type of work is very taxing. And over the years, uh, you know, I was on the NYPD for 27 years in homicide for 10. It causes a level of PTSD. Some of these faces and some of these bodies that you've seen, they just pop up in your dreams sometimes. And uh, I just thought I would comment about that because it's it's never an easy thing. But yet, if you find us speaking nonchalantly, that's just because that that's this is what our work was. And we don't ever want to sound insensitive, to, especially to the families of uh, these people that were murdered. Great point, Bill. And, uh, you know, that's part of my frustration here. What is this going to do to the family? When I, if I was representing him, I would march him in there, conduct the arraignment, demand an immediate hearing, a preliminary hearing, demand discovery. They'd have to turn over. I mean, what is this going to do to the family? You know, having to now live through this nonsense for this stupid charge that means nothing when the real issue is the homicide that we are now dealing with. It's just so wrong to them. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but I, I mean, I understand. You know, I, mean, I think that, you know, we also went weeks and weeks of people referring him as uh, a person of interest. And then the fact that his family was allowed to report him missing. On the New York City Police Department, a missing person spe- specifically is not, is not a person wanted on a warrant or a person wanted for a crime. Now, he, they didn't designate that he was wanted for a crime right. at all. However, he came awfully, awfully close. So why would they accept a missing person case under these circumstances? You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit tough for me to accept. Maui Swift, thank you so much for the 1399 super sticker. As I've said before, Maui Swift, I love that name. Uh, it reminds me of Hawaii, which I would love to go someday. I've never been there. But I love that name, and you're a big supporter of Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, Joe, I just also wanted to just touch upon the parents. What is their exposure? Now, the fact that they went out to see the attorney, I believe it was yesterday. I mean, to me, that sort of says that they either know he's still alive, maybe they know where he is, or else why would they keep going to see the attorney well i'd love to address the attorney there's a lot of legal issues going on here with the attorney client relationship and what his duties are at this point you know as as the attorney depending on what has been shared with him the attorney is not i mean attorney's not supposed to be coaching someone to be a better criminal he should not be engaging in giving legal advice about how to avoid detection and how to avoid uh, being, you know, arrested, uh, that would be unethical. It would be in, inappropriate. By the same token, there's the attorney-client privilege. If he has communications with his client who tells him where he is, he cannot reveal that. He cannot give that to the police and law enforcement, uh, or he should not. He um, has a duty of loyalty to his client. And if you know, if he's told him I'm, you know, held up in Pennsylvania in a log cab, he can't. He, he cannot reveal that. So there's, there's a lot of legal issues here with the attorney. And I think it was very smart to retain counsel. But unfortunately, I don't see what counsel is actually doing to his benefit. There, are, As we discussed in the past, there are so many different methods that he could have, 
you know, uh, followed to try to get some relief for his client if his client was innocent and really had no culpability. But even if he is guilty, he's doing a disservice to his client by not immediately surrendering him, by presenting a, um, a united front and saying, yes, we're in constant contact and communication. I was here for him. He went on a trip. I was when he next called me at our next scheduled call, I informed him of the warrant. He came right back. I mean, you have to be able to present a cohesive defense to to whatever you're doing. And that attorney client relationship is so important. And I'm I'm sad to see that there's a breakdown. Now, that breakdown could be from nefarious activity of of outsiders. We don't know if he was abducted or injured or. Uh, you know, killed by a bear. We really don't know. And it's just unfair to constantly attack him and his family, you know, without knowing facts. And we just don't have them. All right, Joe, I want to ask the vet girl, 499 Super Chat. Thank you so much. She asks, what happens if the parents receive a summons to appear in front of a grand jury and they take the fifth? That's their right. It's their absolute right. And they should. They should take the fifth. Nobody should be compelled to testify again, you know, to com- compelled to, you know, incriminate themselves. Uh, and but usually, I mean, when you put someone in the grand jury, you're giving them immunity to testify. So, you know, that becomes another issue. Do they still, even though there is no legal jeopardy for them, uh, testify or do they not testify? And there's some high profile cases where. People went in there and refused to answer questions who were then incarcerated because they refused to answer questions. And the government has the right to do it, and they have done it and continue to do it. You know, Joe, I had asked you um, off the air, uh, and I I would imagine a lot of people would like to know the answer to this. If your client comes into you and says, yeah, I killed her, but now get me off, what is your answer to that? Well, as an attorney, you are not allowed to perpetrate a fraud on the court or allow your client or witnesses even to perpetrate a fraud on the court. So if you know something not to be true, you can't allow it to happen. It's such a strong rule. You have a duty to correct the record. If someone gets up there and testifies and they go off the reservation and start saying stuff that I know is false, I'll stop and I'll you know, let the court know and the people know, wait a second, this is, you know, I have to correct the record. This is not accurate. You know, you you have a duty. You're an officer of the court. Our goal, all of us, prosecutor, defense attorney, judges, is for justice. We want justice to happen. You cannot, as an officer of the court, allow someone to perpetrate a fraud. Now, that doesn't mean if someone comes in and says they're guilty, I can't challenge the evidence. I can't challenge what was done. Perhaps there were some illegal, unconstitutional actions that took place in the course of the investigation. And I could try, you know, even using the exclusionary rule to uh, have that suppressed and not used. I can do that, but I can't affirmatively put him on the stand and say, I didn't do this if I know he did it or a witness to say he didn't do this, and I know he did it. That's just unethical. I can't do it. Right. You know, folks, I just want to say, uh, I see people from all over the country, all over the world in the chat. If you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, 
uh, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're building our channel. We, I've had a lot of help with, from a lot of different people. Joe Murray's one of them. Um, Duty Ron, of course, has helped me probably more than any single person. Uh, he's helped me get my channel up and really running. And uh, I really just want to uh, thank him out in the open here. The other thing is, folks, we have a Patreon. If you'd like to join our Patreon, it's uh, I'll put the address up on the screen there. Uh, and we just we just actually started a, um, a membership for our YouTube. And we have four levels, and we have a sense of humor in our levels, of course. For $2.99 a month, you're the bucket. For $9.99 a month, you get to polish my rack. For $24.99 a month, you're dipped in butter. And the premier level of our YouTube is heated dipped in butter, and that's $49.99. So we're building our family, we're building our channel, and we're trying to give you the best content possibly available from the perspective of police that actually did this job for a long time. And then a police officer who jumped over to the other side, and uh, Joe Murray now is, is in the defense attorney realm. But that's it's important to have that. Folks, we also have a uh, merchandise if you want to buy some of the Police Off the Cuff merchandise. There's the address there, shop.policeoffthecuff.com. And we got some really cool cool stuff there. Um, you know, Joe, one of the things, um, to, in building this homicide case, which is what the feds and Moab should be the prosecuting jurisdiction, uh, excuse me, the Grand Teton on Wyoming, that area. But being that it's a federal park, could the feds and the fact that he fled if, if, in fact, he did flee interstate, he did travel interstate and committed the crime. We know that now, at least in regards to the arrest warrant. But one of the things we need to build the homicide case, of course, is physical evidence, testimonial evidence, uh, witnesses that saw him at all different areas misbehaving, circumstantial evidence. We spoke about that before. And all of that stuff, when we put it together, Hopefully, that builds a strong circumstantial case. So we're not really available now to say they don't have a case. Well, we don't know yet. We don't know what all their evidence is, especially the electronic evidence. I'm sure they grabbed his computer in his house, the cell phones, the cars. You know, So you want to speak to that a bit? Yes, but before I do, let me just add one last thing because of the statement I just made. I don't want anyone to, to be like, well— I I'm only going to hire Joe Murray if I'm innocent. The overwhelming majority of the people that I represent and most criminal defense attorneys represent are guilty. They're guilty of something, maybe not the top charge, but they're guilty of something. And it's our job to get them justice that they're either overcharged or there was illegal unconstitutional actions that led to their arrest and prosecution. So we defend their rights and we you know, a lot of most of my cases will end in plea bargains. I will fight the top count. I will fight, you know, different charges and say, no, this is inappropriate. It's an overcharge. And you'll get to a point where you, there's a meeting of the minds. Yes. OK, this is what he's culpable of. And, you know, this is an agreeable sentence. So most of the cases that we handle are pe people that are guilty. So I don't want people to get that opinion that, you know, we only represent innocent people, and and uh, if you are guilty of some conduct, it's it's important to retain counsel, but to make sure that you're only charged and found guilty of your culpable conduct, 
not just overcharging. So I just wanted to clarify that. With regards to what you're talking about, first of all, the federal jurisdiction. This is a great question, and it's part of my whole philosophy about the overreach of the federal government. Our Constitution was set up, and the Tenth Amendment makes clear that only the enumerated powers in the Constitution are afforded to the federal government. Everything is left to the state. Generally, criminal prosecutions, crimes, are the purview of state legislatures, and the states should engage in those prosecutions. However, we have jurisdiction based on federal grounds, federal buildings. The federal government should really only engage in prosecutions for crimes against the United States, crimes against sta uh, government officials. You know, that, that's the jurisdiction that is intended for the federal government. These are common law, state law crimes that are happening in states that are more than capable of prosecuting these crimes. It should be left to the local government. Because it happened on federal grounds, because there's interstate, uh, uh, the, the Commerce Clause is where the government uses its overreach. The Commerce Clause allows them to get into all kinds of things. So whenever there's any interstate involvement, that triggers federal jurisdiction. But from a constitutional perspective, the framers of our Constitution intended only the limited powers in the Constitution for the federal government, the rest to the state. And this really should be a state prosecution, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that a lot of times too, people get too crazy over those three words, those three letters, FBI, and they um, assign to them this like overarching talent of in all areas of law enforcement that they may not necessarily um, possess. For example, uh, I always felt that homicide cases are much better off investigated and prosecuted by local jurisdictions, and especially if they're busy places like New York City, Baltimore, Chicago, all of these jurisdictions, their police investigate hundreds and hundreds of homicides. I don't think that's true with the FBI. Uh, I don't think they get that kind of practice. And I don't mean just to call it practice, but the more murders you investigate, the better you get at it. And that's true. So all these jurisdictions, these large police departments that have lots of violent crime, they're the best at investigating. And as a result, the district attorneys are the best at prosecuting these cases. So people, when they hear those three letters, FBI, they I think they have a false sense of, you know, We've been fed that thing by the in the hearings and everything. This is the premier law enforcement organization in America. Well, you know, you would like to think that. I don't know if, in fact, that is true. Look, the NYPD claims that our detectives are the greatest detectives in the world. Is that true? I've worked with a lot of them. I think it is true. But, you know, something you don't hear other jurisdictions saying that. Oh, the NYPD has the greatest detectives in the world, not Chicago. But I'm sure Chicago detectives are fantastic because they get – and L.A. and Baltimore and all of these cities that are – you know, have this – a huge amount of crime. You know, folks, I just also want to say – I want to shout out to Kyle and Jen Bethune. 
they were the folks that gave the information that found uh, the van and ultimately led for Gabby being discovered. Without them, and you know, the old adage, we hear it all the time, if you see something, say something. Well, in this instance, guess what? It worked. It 100% worked. And the eyes and ears of the public are the most important thing. And you know, with social media, with television, all this media, the media is very important in a homicide investigation because they can get out in, I, I'm sure Brian's mug is all over the world right now, you know? And can he change his appearance? Absolutely. People do it all the time. But it helps to have his mug out there so that people can, you know, they see something, they pick up the phone, and they call it in, you know? And that's so, so important in this investigation. We're going to be following this investigation as it goes along. And, you know, as we said earlier, it sort of fascinated the entire world uh, as is just glued into this case and the happenings in this case. And, you know, we put, uh, what do they say uh, to things can't hide when you shine a light on it? And that's that's true. And you could see even with law enforcement. Law enforcement, guess what? We make mistakes, but the light is always sh shining on law enforcement. I mean, how many doctors across the, the world right now are performing surgery? Is there a camera on them watching them cut open someone with a scalpel? Is it Are they being watched? No, but law enforcement with the body-worn cameras, with cameras all over the place, they are under a microscope, and more so now than ever, ever before. So do we make mistakes in law enforcement? 100%. But sometimes the mistakes we made can have tragic circumstances, tragic results. So, of course, our, our mistakes are much, there's much more to pay uh, when they result in the loss of a life. Or, you know, I don't want to enumerate all the mistakes that were made in this case because that's, that's not, but I think people, shine a light on them and they, they say, oh, they did this wrong. They did that wrong. Hey, we're, talk, we're talking here right now and we have 25, 27, 30 years of experience, yet many folks in the chat go, you're wrong. That's not true. You know, okay, yeah, I make mistakes too. You know, and I say things that are wrong and so does defense attorney Joe Murray here. We all make mistakes. Yeah. And when it's pointed out and I know that I'm wrong, I'll admit to it. I have no problem with that. I am totally not infallible. I make mistakes every single day, you know. Great. <laughs> you got you have nothing to say about that, Joe? No, you just gonna sit I, there? I, Bill, this is why I love the show and I support <laughs> you so much because you're a real person and you well, keep you. it real. You don't put up any facade. This is not bullshit here. This is real street talk about from from law enforcement uh, officials who have done the job walk the walk and i i love this platform it's one it's 100 my favorite uh you and duty ron both are keeping it real well People thank you so much you know it's uh i think it's just important to uh I, I, and justice for all i'm going to read what you you wrote police off the cuff what if the laundries bought an identical camper after dropping off brian and the first camper with supplies somewhere. So if law enforcement checked the camper and driveway, there would be nothing suspected. Look, anything is possible. 
you know, uh, what do they say in martial arts? Expect the unexpected, right? Yeah. And that's true in law enforcement too. Anything is possible. I'm not going to say that's not possible. It is possible. You know, folks, if you're from some exotic place right now in the chat, just put where you're from. I, I, I love to see all the parts of the world that people in the chat are from and where they're listening from and where they've heard of us. You know, I see living life in Hawaii. Oh, my God. I wish I was living life in Hawaii. You know, I see people from all over the world. So post in the chat where you're from. I think it's it's so it's so amazing. Uh, you know, Maui Swift. I, I know you're not from uh, Maui, though, Maui Swift. You told me where you're from. Vancouver, right? Because you know the great blues guitarist. Um, now I'm, th I think I'm thinking of his name right now. My buddy. Uh Oh, I can't think of his name because I, I'm trying to think of it. Um, yeah, Joe is a great defense attorney. He's a great human being. We love having him on the show. You know, one of the things that I, I when I first started doing this show, and it, it's uh, sort of morphed into doing more real crimes episodes, and I used to say, um, Rachel Henderson, South Africa, Brad Holtz, Florida Keys. I was in Isla Morada in, in April, and I simply loved it, and I want to go back. Joe Babs, Kansas. Rachel Burns, uh, Misty Day, New York. Oh, we know that place. We know New York. Right. Elizabeth Sanchez, Columbia. Cassie, Southern California. Susan Murphy, Milwaukee. Kay Black, Pacific Northwest. Justice for USA. No Name Rose, California. Joyce, Chicago suburbs. B. Rogers, Utah, unfortunately. I thought Utah was beautiful. Why would you say unfortunately? Mia Nunn, Sweden, USA 2Q2, Michigan, Arya, India, Ivy 25, Germany, Living Life in Hawaii, Heaven on Earth, Horsewoman 2000, Colorado, Lest We Forget, UK, Not Exotic, Julalyn 1111, Hawaiian Islands, my God, you guys are some crime hippie, Belfast, Kelly McLean, Mexico. Uh, I got to show my swag. You know. Oh, he's got he's got his police off the cuff mug there, and uh, show is Somewhere. the dipped in butter still showing or what? <laughs> yeah, we still got the dipped in butter. Wow, because you know those mugs that we ordered a while ago, people told me that if you throw them in the um, dishwasher, it, it the the writing comes off. So uh, wow, we hand wash everything in my house. Uh, oh, that's good. That's good. It's so great. You know, folks, I think that uh, we we had a great show today. We're at an hour and twenty oh, minutes. Oh, Bill, can I can I just? I mean, there's there was an issue that I I. Uh, a couple of like factual things, or do you want to just save that for the next one? I mean, I I I, I do think we covered this well, but yeah, yeah, I, you know, Joe, we're at an hour and twenty two minutes, yeah. and I I just want to, and you know, you'll be on again. You can bring up whatever you want at that point. Sure. But folks, again, thank you so much for supporting uh, Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. Uh, we you know we love doing this show, and this case has really hit us in the heart, and we're going to stay with it. And hopefully we'll bring you more good content. There's some great shows on this duty. Ron hit it out of the park last night. Uh, and, you know, I hate to say he's like my mentor in this because he's younger than me. I don't want this young guy being my mentor, but he's taught me a lot of stuff in this whole YouTube thing. So, again, if you're not a member of Police Off the Cuff on YouTube, hit subscribe, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, Joe, you have any last words? Because uh, uh, we got to say goodbye. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I uh, what I would like to talk about and subsequently is Barbara Butcher just was such a great resource. And I was throwing in question after question. There was a couple of great issues, you know, like the fact that he, um, 
when she had this uh, dispute with him and there were scratches. So there could be some DNA under her fingers that is recovered. There's no way to really date that. And I just threw out a question uh, last night and it was interesting because I asked this, is there possibly a way to date it based on like post-mortem nail growth? Because the, the nails continue to grow. Is there a way that, you know, now when you scrape under the nail, you can tell, well, this, the nail growth had to have taken place about, you know, the 20 something days that it would, you know, but, and they were like, no, sorry, you know, so I'm, I'm just raising questions like that. I think are very interesting because how are you going to deal with that at a subsequent trial? How are you going to say this wasn't from the domestic incident? This was from the homicide. You can't. So there's so many forensically Barbara is going to be a great resource because there's so much that's going to come out in this case to have her come back. I mean, everyone should just be excited to, you know, to see, I, her. you know, Joe, I, I actually called it today at the last minute and I said, Barbara, are you busy at three o'clock? She, and she, and she <laughs> so was, much. she's so, great though. Yeah. And just to have her on the Rolodex to come in. I mean, even, you know, we have some private stuff that we work on together. She's phenomenal. You know, the, her knowledge. She's the best. She's the, and she's got a book. She's got a book coming out soon yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, when that comes out, we'll, we'll pitch it on here. So but great. folks, I mean, thank you, Bill. Thanks for having okay. me. I love being here and you allow me to blow V8 and throw my, uh, you <laughs> you're know, the man, Joe. And I'm so happy. Days. I'm so happy you're healthy again. Thank and look, you. that's thank one you. hell of a hard way to lose 25 pounds Oof, getting COVID, yeah, you know? Rough. I don't think you want to do it. Anyway, folks, on behalf of the Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, I'm Bill Cannon. On behalf of myself and Joe Murray, thank you guys so much for supporting us and so much for listening today. Have a great day.